Lord, thank you for the evening. Thank you particularly for the rain. Uh, thank you for your word. Uh, may it water uh, with your spirit. May it water and nourish our hearts as the rain is doing to the soil and the ground outside. We love you. We thank you. We pray your spirit would be here and lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. We love you and pray for this please tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's see. So there's a... Stephen drew a picture a few years ago of... I'm not sure who that is holding up the, the stick, but probably Moses and the bronze serpent on the pole. Uh, so that's how Stephen thinks it might have looked. Uh, this, uh, this next slide is, in a sense, the summary of the lesson tonight, although it's not exactly the summary. Uh, but you'll, if you had a chance to read all those chapters, you'll recognize the point of this immediately. John Greenleaf Whittier said this. It's probably familiar to you. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. The epitaph of the first generation who left Egypt. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. They did not experience all that God had for them because of their faithlessness. Numbers, the book of obedience, love that, loved Ben's sermon this morning, our job is not to be effective, but to be obedient. I'm like, hey, you're reading my notes, that's good. So obedience, the book of obedience, now remember this, this was, okay, there's, there's going to be two versions of this coming at you, one is a cartoon, the other are words, so if you're the picture book person, this is your slide, and if you're a words person, the next slide is for you. Remember, they came out of Egypt by grace, through faith, under blood. These people were redeemed out of Egypt. God took them out, and the first thing they did was they passed through the Red Sea. He took them into and a little bit through the wilderness, and they arrived at Mount Sinai where He gave them His law. And they were headed toward the promised land. Remember that? Thank you. Somebody remembers. We talked about it then in terms of the books and what advances the story and what just we kind of hit pause and we get an explanation of the story. In Genesis and Exodus, we find there is an inheritance promised. In, Num in Leviticus, the story's not advanced. Remember, God is addressing two questions. How do I approach this holy God and how do I live with this holy God? And so Leviticus is the explanation of that. Numbers, which we're in, the story starts advancing again because the people are marching toward, ideally, toward the promised land. And then by the time uh, Deuteronomy comes along, that's where the second generation is standing across from the Jordan River. In fact, if you were... If you got away, all the way through chapter 25 for tonight, you found that they're getting very close to where they're going to come across 
uh, in the book of Joshua. And so Moses' Deuteronomy means the second giving or the reiteration of the law. And so Moses reiterates the law, the covenant, to the second generation as they're standing across the Jordan before they go in. We get to the book of Joshua, and now the inheritance that God gave them is going to be possessed. They're going to claim the promised land. Israel always struggles. Uh, When they left Egypt, they begin to look back on Egypt as a place of perceived security. Even in tonight's chapters, almost 40 years later, (laughs) they're still wanting to go back to Egypt. Numbers is where the Lord has taken them into the wilderness, and He has, in a sense, proven to them their unbelief and disobedience. And by the time then we get to the book of Joshua, Canaan will be experiencing God's best in the promised land. So that's our big picture flyover, remember, of the Hexateuch, which is Genesis through Joshua. This is kind of the beginning of the story and the end of this big segment of the story. These are, because this question always comes up, I'm heading it off at the pass. Uh, When God says all these people are going to die in the wilderness, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. These are redeemed people. Okay? These are people who, when that time comes, will uh, walk on the earth with the Lord and with us. They are redeemed out of Egypt, but they fall short of everything that God intends to give them. So these are redeemed people. They're not lost people going to hell. These are redeemed people who just don't experience everything God had in mind for them to experience. It's important to remember as we go through, uh, again, go through tonight's lesson. What is he taking them to? He's really taking them to a physical uh, and a spiritual inheritance in the promised land. That's, that's what he's got in mind for them. So again, our big lesson from Numbers is from heaven's point of view. There's obviously more to being rescued from Egypt than just being counted among the number of the redeemed. There's fulfilling God's expectation being one of those on whom he can count to pursue his purposes and his ends in that generation. So, what do we see in these chapters about the first generation who left Egypt? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The truth is, we simply see this, substandard saints substandard saints. It may at times be hard to distinguish them from the unsaved or the natural carnal man. They behave many times more like they did when they were still kind of in Egypt than after God took them out. Their thinking and actions are prompted by the flesh and or the world rather than the spirit. 
They are spiritual infants or children and seem content to remain as such. They haven't grown spiritually, which is abnormal. Abnormal. And you think, whew, glad that's in the book of Numbers. Uh-oh. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. By the way, that's in the New Testament. Therefore applies to us. Here's what Paul writes the Corinthians. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people or those with the Spirit. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? Uh-oh. <laughs> Same things happening in the New Testament that were happening in the Old Testament. We see substandard saints in these chapters of the book of Numbers. They don't act in accordance with who they are in Christ or who God has made them to be. So, they don't enter into the promised land. What does that mean? All that God has promised them. We've also received a promise in Ephesians 1.3. All He's designed them for, which we know about us from Ephesians 2.10, and where he's designed them to serve him. We know that in our lives from 1 Peter 4. They're learning it back here in the Old Testament. Instead, they wander in the wilderness and waste their lives. Some of you who read these chapters, I had more questions before class today than, than really yet. <laughs> ever yet, um, when you look at all these little vignettes, you think, this is why I don't read the Old Testament. <laughs> I don't get it. It seems to bounce around like a bouncing ball, and there's just story after story after story that don't seem to have any connection. It may surprise you. There's actually a connection. <laughs> Here it is. This is a scrapbook. This is a scrapbook of their experiences on their journey. And so the Holy Spirit took this snapshot and he put it in the album. And he took another snapshot and he put it in the album. Because he's telling the story of what they were like and what they did or didn't do in a scrapbook 
for the second generation who's coming along. Okay, what does that look like? I'm ready for your adoration. It looks like this. This is me. Thank you. Um, I don't know when this picture was taken. Probably preschool. I don't know. Maybe I'm two or three. I don't know. I don't really remember it. But my parents thought this is an important snapshot to take and put into a scrapbook that sometime later they would want me to see. Okay. So every, every picture has a story, doesn't it? This is a great one. This was first grade. I remember this one. Um, I had come home from first grade, and my mother wanted me to go up the stairs, because our rooms were on the second floor, go upstairs and change my clothes before I could go outside and play. A seemingly reasonable request. Uh, not to me on that particular day. So, Mommy and Daddy, I have gan away. Be Cass, you made me go up the... I didn't know how to spell stairs, so I drew a picture of stairs. <laughs> into my room, and this is still... Uh, we were hearing this uh, up until just a couple of years ago. Uh, go up into my room to chidge my calls. The end... Good, that was supposed to be bye, but I got my D and my B backwards, so <laughs> goodbye. I, I thought it would be wise to draw a robot. I'm not sure why, but I thought that would be a good thing to, to draw for them. And I hung it on a piece of fishing line down the stairwell so they would be sure to see it when they passed by the stairwell. They would see this, I have gan away. Okay, now if you just found that note, you go, that looks like something from an insane person. But there's, this was in my scrapbook, because there's a story that goes with this picture. This is one of Laurie's favorite things. This is my um, junior year in high school. I didn't even remember that that day was picture day, and so anyway, I showed up for that. That was in my scrapbook, too. Uh, this is in my scrapbook. So here we are. This is probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, we're all around the Christmas tree, and that was a great Christmas Eve. This, you wouldn't have even known, was me. <laughs> but there was a, uh, we call a Vacation Bible School Kids Camp, and so this was back in the days of Kathy Burr. Kathy Burr could sell me anything, and she said, I need you to dress up like Batman, because it'll be a character in the, um, the opening. And I said, well, Kathy, you do know I wear glasses, right? And she said, don't worry about that. So I, I put on the uniform, I don't have glasses on, and I'm supposed to run around on the stage doing things and not falling off the stage or running into people. So anyway, that was, uh, I was Batman one year. Just pictures in my scrapbook, random pictures that tell some stories. These pictures in 15 through 25 are the same kinds of things. You look at the picture and you say, why is that there? Because it tells a story of the Israelites.
for the second generation. Either do what your parents did, or usually don't do what your parents did. So this is their scrapbook that they're going to go through. You get the idea. There's a spiritual story behind every picture in these chapters. And so I've entitled this Lessons from the Wilderness, and it's illustrations of the carnal mind. Uh, Sometimes the main character is the substandard saint. Sometimes the entire nation is the substandard saint. And there's only a couple times that the main character is actually doing it right. So they're not a substandard saint. But the vast majority of these pictures are of them uh, as a sub... Boy, try saying that ten times fast. Substandard saint. So illustrations of the carnal mind... Here's the big idea for the lesson tonight. It's not the, or it is the spiritually minded, not the carnally minded saint who will enter into God's full inheritance for him in his generation. Not the carnally minded saint. Not the 1 Corinthians 3 or the Hebrews 5 that also talks about the same idea that those who are content to walk like worldlings are not going to, if you will, inherit everything that God has set aside for him or for her. There are 14 of these. Uh, I did not make these up, meaning I took them from someone. I just can't remember who. So this is my blanket disclaimer. I didn't come up with these 14, but they're great. Uh, They either came from... Uh, Bob Deffenbaugh on Bible.org, or we've checked some other sources. Larry's still looking for where we got this chart that I got these these 14. Uh, But it's pretty interesting how they connect together with um, the book of Numbers. They weren't created for the book of Numbers, as I recall, but maybe they were. I can't remember. It's been a long time. But anyway, I didn't think these 14 up, so if you like the 14... Thank God for whoever came up with these. It wasn't me. I've just taken them. First, the carnally minded won't accept or obey God's word. So in chapter 15, uh, the Lord is talking to them about the voluntary free will offerings in the promised land. Uh, and the consequences for those who unintentionally disobey as well as those who intentionally disobey. And then he concludes that chapter with a reminder to obey with the tassels on their clothing. So the carnally minded won't accept or obey God's word. They don't honor his holiness in their worship and they don't imitate his holiness in their walk. You know, you don't have to look back too many chapters to see out of the 12 spies who went into the land, 10 said no, 2 said go. How many were carnally minded? 10. How about the 2? They were unable to convince the 10 to come on, let's go. 
So I don't think Moses has much to think. He doesn't have long to think back on trying to come up with some carnally-minded people. The spiritually-minded, on the other hand, accept God's Word and follow it. Question? Is there a particular passage or area of Scripture that you know and understand but are struggling to follow in your life? And if you say to me, well, I don't know, then you haven't gotten the book Respectable Sins yet. And if you have, you haven't started reading it yet. And if you have been reading it and you're still saying, I don't know, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, Respectable Sins will give you some great um, thought and prayer material in this particular area. So they won't accept or obey God's Word. The carnally-minded won't accept or follow God's leaders. And so the next two chapters, 16 is Korah, and Korah decides it's probably... Um, now remember, he was a Levi, Levite from the tribe of Levi, which is already a pretty special tribe. What is it that he wants? He wants the priesthood. <laughs> Who is Aaron? <laughs> Why does Aaron get to be the priest and only the priest? I got 250 guys out here who could be priests. Uh, neither Moses nor the Lord think much of that. <laughs> and uh, so um, Korah's rebellion comes to an end. Chapter 17, uh, kind of another way around the same issue, whose staff buds and it's um, Aaron's staff, uh, and so it's actually memorialized um, in front of or, or perhaps even in the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a warning for rebels. So this is Aaron's, bud, uh, Aaron, Aaron's rod. It budded and produced fruit. The rest of them did not produce fruit. So the carnally-minded won't accept or follow God's leaders. There were at least 250 who didn't want the role God had given them. Instead, they selfishly desired leadership, authority, or greatness over other men rather than service. The spiritually-minded, on the other hand, accept God's leaders and follow them. Question? Is there a particular spiritual leader in your life to whom you're struggling to submit? Number three, the carnally-minded neglect their privileged calling. So the first few verses of chapter 18, we have the duties of the priests and the Levites. And the priesthood is God's gift to his people. The Levites are God's gift to the priests. And to leave off of the work is to cut off the people. Because if I don't have priests or Levites, I can't worship. I can't bring my offerings because I'm not allowed to do the 
uh, if you will, the important part. So I, I'm denied access to God. How do I approach a holy God? I can't. If I don't have any priests or Levites, I cannot approach God. So to leave off this work is bad. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, serve under the direct supervision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest, that's you and me, and serve as his gift of a priesthood of believers to all men. Is that interesting to you? I'll let you meditate on that one. To leave off the work is, in a sense, to leave people cut off. Sometimes we think our role as a priest these days is optional. I would suggest to you the scriptures do not see it that way. It is not optional. It's a work we cannot leave off from doing. The carnally minded neglect to care for God's servants, and so then he spends the rest of chapter 18 talking about... um, the priests, the sacrifices and offerings that the people bring to the priests, the Levites, the tithes from the people, and the high priest gets the tithes of the Levites. So everybody is cared for, and God says to them, don't leave off doing this. Curiously, we're not going to go too many more books, and we're going to find some at least people who might have, uh, some Levites, who might be wandering around, uh, or even priests, trying to become somebody's household priest. Why? Because the people have left off doing what they're supposed to do. So these guys are walking around just going, well, I guess I'll become a household priest. Because what God told them not to do, funny enough, That's what they did. They left off of what they were supposed to be doing. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, care for God's servants, and they steward their resources appropriately. There are some verses for you to look up later if you'd like to do that. The carnally minded are casual or even optional toward holiness. And so, chapter 19, we have the red heifer and the water of purification and what we're supposed to do with the water of purification. And it takes a red heifer who's never been yoked. Uh, So we've got to find a special uh, cow and we've got to basically sacrifice it in the right way. And then we put it in some water with some other stuff, and that water becomes holy for purifying from certain things. And then there's also a penalty um, if uh, you don't, if you refuse the cleansing, uh, verse 20, but those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. 
So the Lord, again, he's serious about what he says. And he says, this is how I want you to cleanse yourselves. And if you choose not to do that, that's fine. I'm going to cut you off from the community. Because you remain defiled and you'll pollute the whole camp. And if you pollute the whole camp, I may get angry against the whole camp and wipe them all out. The spiritually minded on the other side pursue holiness for fellowship with God. They're reminded, be holy as I am holy, which we saw in the book of Leviticus. We also see it in 1 Peter. As well, we have 1 John 1.9. When we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The carnally minded don't heed God's rebuke. And so chapter 20 First 13 verses, they don't have any water. Um, Verse 2 of chapter 20, there was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. (laughs) I'm telling you what, if I were Moses and Aaron, (laughs) it's amazing what those, those two guys particularly. Same people, same sin. Same spirit in them. They're just rebelling against Moses. Uh, Did you get verse 4? Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? 5. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? Where do they want to go back? Egypt. That's the place where they feel like they have security. This time there's a different response on Moses' part. Um, I think, doesn't say so. I, I think Moses <laughs> just had a fit of anger, which is amazing. After 40 years, this is the first one he seems to have had. And so he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. The Lord provides water, as he said he would. But then what does he tell Moses? You can't go in. You've spent 40 years leading these people. You can't go in. Wow. More is expected of leadership than of other people. Moses made a mistake any of us could have made. But God says, nope, you're my special guy, and you're not going in. You hit the rock. And so now there's a painful discipline. Don't seem to hear from Moses about it, though, exactly, which is another amazing thing about Moses. But the carnally minded don't heed God's rebuke. The spiritually minded, no testing will bring more maturity or reveal their immaturity. They realize leadership is held to higher standards, and they know faithfulness is more important than reward. That's the spiritually minded. The carnally minded, chapter 20, we keep going, Edom won't let Israel pass through their land. I remember Edom 
is another way of saying Esau. Esau had a brother, Jacob. While they got along a little bit, they didn't get along very well for very long. And so now Jacob wants to pass through Esau's land. How does Esau feel about that? Not so good. So Edom says, no, you cannot go this way. The carnally-minded seek the quickest, easiest path. They wanted to go through that way, but the king of Edom replied, stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. Israel, Jacob, and Edom, Esau, had a common father, Isaac. But Israel has been in bondage and mistreated, and Edom doesn't care. Esau doesn't care about Jacob. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, go out of their way, not the most direct way, to live at peace with all men. Romans 12:18, "As far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men." The carnally-minded, next picture in our scrapbook, is the death of Aaron. And so the carnally-minded lack humility about their role. Uh, This seems to be a positive picture of Aaron for a, a change. It's around the fifth month of the 40th year. Aaron dies and is mourned for 30 days. And Eleazar, his son replaces him as high priest. The spiritually minded know that God's workmen change, but His work continues. Chapter 21, the Canaanite king of Arad who lived in the Negev, heard that the Israelites were approaching on the road through Atharim. So he attacked the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. And the people vowed to the Lord, if you'll hand them over, we'll destroy you. The Lord heard their request. They completely destroyed them and their towns, and the place has been called Horma or destruction, ever since. What was the problem Why is this picture in here? There's a positive side of it. They cry out to the Lord. The negative part of it is the carnally-minded lack alertness toward enemies. The Israelites were caught off guard. Their fathers had been here before, back in chapter 14. But the sons were given do-overs. You already begin to see the second generation being exhorted, given opportunity, and exhorted to do the right thing this time instead of what their parents did, which was the wrong thing. The spiritually minded know the enemy is on the prowl. They seek the Lord for help and strength for battle. 
and they show their enemies no mercy. Uh, it may still be there. I can't recall. There's a picture of a lion if you go into the garden room. There's a, a wonderful big picture of a lion. And you see kind of on the hills, you see maybe a few people and some stuff like that. And I don't know what you think of that painting, the people I've asked about it. I said, what do you think about that painting? And they said, ooh, that's a great picture of Jesus. See, he's up there and he's protecting the people who are down there. And it's a great picture like Aslan. And I said, Look, that's true, it could be that. But I've actually taken the painting off the wall and read the little thing that's on the back. And it's a picture of the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour. It's actually a, paint, it's a warning painting. Here's a painting of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. This is not a happy Jesus picture. This is a, ooh, this is a warning picture. The enemy is on the prowl. He will not cease until the Lord Jesus takes care of him. It's important for us to remember always, the enemy is on the prowl. If there is fear, chaos, anxiety, I can guarantee you one thing, they do not come from God. Israel, the second generation, showed their enemies no mercy. How many times do we show our enemy, and I don't mean necessarily just Satan, but show our enemy no mercy? Let's say, let's pick an enemy from respectable sins. Let's pick gossip. How many times do I show gossip mercy and say, well, I've stopped you this time? But do we keep going and say, Lord, make, make gossip like horma, like destruction in me. Take care of it. Kill it. Remove it. Show it no mercy. Destroy it. See what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You can pick other things. But so many times I show it mercy. Lord, just in this particular situation or circumstance, I just keep showing it mercy. And it keeps running around. <laughs> and it, whoop, it escapes and it shows up somewhere else. Instead of saying, Lord, kill this thing. Kill it. Make it destruction. The carnally-minded lack alertness toward enemies. And I am not the guy who looks for the devil behind every bush. But he's out there. He is prowling around. The carnally-minded become easily discontented. Chapter 21. Let's see. That's fourth. <laughs> oh, this, is a, this is the picture. 
Then the, the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why, can you believe this? I can. Sounds like me every day. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this horrible manna. <laughs> so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned! By speaking against the Lord and against you, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. If I'm Moses, I've just whacked the rock. I don't get to go in the promised land because of you. Forget it. What's that? I can't do it. Is that it? Anyway, you know what I'm trying to do. Just looking sillier and sillier like the Batman costume. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And now you know what Jesus meant in John chapter 3. When he said, I will be lifted up. What is he making himself out to be? Just look to him. If you're snake bit, look to him. Who's looking up to him? Those people who know their snake bit. The carnally minded become easily discontented. They become impatient with God's path and their progress and complained. And the Lord judged their sinful attitudes. The spiritually minded repent of complaining against God. They go to Him first with their needs and their frustrations, and they learn, as Paul did, to be content in any circumstance. Easy to write, not easy to live out. The carnally minded, now we're in chapter 21, let's see, where are we? Oh, verse 5 and then 10 through 20. Oh, yeah. Mm. Let's see. What do we have here? Oh, they travel to Moab. Uh, and along the way, the Lord gives them water to drink. And they, um, they write a little song about it. Or they read a little song about it. Uh, and so they then they continue walking um, until they get to Pisgah Peak, which overlooks the wasteland. So the carnally minded take God's provisions for granted. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, remember that God provided manna to eat in the desert six days a week for 40 years. 
they're reminded that God anticipated their need for water and provided it. And they gratefully rejoiced over His faithful provision. The carnally minded then in chapter 21, uh, they come up to the land of the Amorites, King Sihon, and the other one easier, King Og. Okay, so we got Sihon and Og. They show up through the Old Testament as illustrations of what God does to, uh, to kings or countries that are allied against Israel. They're, gonna, they're referred to as, as the Lord did to Sihon and Og. This is what they're referring to right here. Uh, they ask permission to pass through. King Sihon refuses to let them cross his territory. Instead, he sends out his army. Uh, but the Israelites slaughtered them with their swords and occupied their land. Uh, so Israel begins to settle in this town. They write um, a little, uh, some ancient poet wrote this little thing that they quote. So the people of Israel occupied the territory of the Amorites. Um, they capture all the towns. Then they turned and marched up the road to Bashan. But King Og of Bashan and all his people attacked them. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have handed him over to you along with all his people in his land. Do the same to him as you did to King Sihon of the Amorites. And Israel killed King Og, his son, and all his subjects. Not a single survivor remained. Then Israel occupied their land. The carnally minded don't want a battle or make progress. The spiritually minded, on the other hand, Israel's enemies attempted to stop them by attacking them. Their strength to fight came from the Lord. They defeated their enemies and then occupied their land. And the spiritually minded understand that making, making spiritual progress means overcoming many enemies. The carnally minded are unaware of ongoing spiritual warfare around them. And this is one of the most interesting stories in all of the Bible. Um, Balaam's donkey is not the only donkey that talks. Really? I'm like a talky, talking donkey? Okay. Okay. You all are so kind. You just don't get my dumb jokes. The carnally minded are unaware of the ongoing spiritual warfare around them. Uh, Balak, who has seen this massive horde moving up toward his land, uh, he's seen them wipe kings and nations off the face of the earth. So he has an idea. I'm going to send for Balaam, and Balaam's going to come down here and curse him. And maybe then I'll be able to defeat him, if I can curse him. So he goes and he gets Balaam. And you say, what is going on so far? Remember at that time, there were thought to be local deities. 
What is Balaam going to come down to do? Well, for instance, you go, what? Okay, uh, chapter 21, verse 29. Okay, he's talking about... Um, um, He's talking about the Amorites, and he says, uh, Oh, worshipers of Chemosh. There was supposedly a local deity who ruled over that particular piece of land. So Yahweh, in Balaam's mind, is just another local deity, and he's going to go bargain with Yahweh. That's, that's how the ancient mind, that's how they thought about these things. So Balak sends for Balaam to come down and have a chat with Yahweh and curse him. And what is he going to give him, what is he going to give Yahweh, you know, in exchange for this curse? Well, he's going to make seven altars and he's going to give him seven sacrifices. All right. So Balaam... Uh, Balak goes up to Balaam. He says, uh, let's see, verse 8 of chapter 22. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning I'll tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? And he tells them. Uh, and God says to Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. So Balaam gets up and tells Balak's officials, go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, he's not coming. So he tries again. And Balaam responded, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. Now, don't think that Balaam is necessarily a Yahweh worshiper. He's just, the, this is kind of, you know, um, I don't know, the, you, you get what he's saying. Uh, stay here another night, I'll see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but, only, but do only what I tell you to do, or say only what I tell you to say. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, started off with Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. What? <laughs> I thought he told him to go. <laughs> hmm. What's going on here? Is God capricious and whimsical? No. What does God know Balaam is going down there to do? Not do what he tells him to do. <laughs> not say what he's going to tell him to say. He's looking into Balaam's heart, and he's angry that he's not following the Lord's instructions. That's why God is mad. And you say, really? I'll prove it to you in just a minute. So they go down there, and he, uh, Balak takes him three different places. And they set up seven altars, and they make seven sacrifices, and then Balaam walks away a little bit, and he finds out what the Lord wants him to say. And so he goes to the first place, and all of this happened, and well, after the donkey, right? Because the donkey, strangely enough, sees the angel of the Lord, and Balaam didn't. 
<laughs> Your donkey sees the angel of the Lord, but you don't see it. <laughs> You're a what? You're supposed to be the guy who's in touch with these things? And you don't see it, but your donkey sees it? This, is, this would have been like a sitcom. Now, this is really funny. <laughs> this is so funny. This is ancient Hebrew humor. You should be going, <laughs> the guy who's supposed to see and hear things, his donkey sees in here, he doesn't get it at all. He's just... You're laughing right now. You're like, oh, Balaam, oh my gosh, he's really walking into it. All right, so he gets down there. Balak takes him three different places. We'll kind of summarize here. He takes him three different places. Each time, Balaam blesses them instead of curses them. Two times, it seems that he is kind of saying what he's been told to say. The third time, the Spirit of God comes on him and he has a much longer blessing. And Balak is not very happy with all of this. The king is not very happy. And so he, he says, you could have been rich, but see ya. And he sends him on home. And so, yeah, in fact, King Balak flew into a rage. <laughs> um, and Balaam said, hey, I told you. Uh, and so he, he delivers his concluding Comments and Balaam and Balak, Balak return to their homes. And then we have chapter 25. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't finish this slide. Okay. The carnally minded are unaware of ongoing spiritual warfare around them. The spiritually minded understand they're in a constant battle. They stay properly dressed and prepared for battles as good soldiers should, and they're always ready to fight, as Paul reminded us of our spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. Okay, the carnally minded then become complacent about compromising with the world. And so all of a sudden, these local Moabite women come into the camp and by the way, the Israelite men don't seem to be uh, fighting them off too, too hard there. Um, these women come in. They invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. What? <laughs> in this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. And so he tells Moses, um, take care of this. <laughs> and Eleazar, remember the new high priest, has a definitive act, and he puts a spear in there and stops the plague after it had killed some 24,000 people, 23,000, 24,000 people. Uh, and then the Lord says at the end of chapter 25, attack the Midianites and destroy them because they assaulted you with deceit and tricked you into worshiping Baal of Peor and because of Cosby, the daughter of a Midianite leader who was killed at the time of the plague because of what happened at Peor. And you go, what is going on here? Why is this picture in our scrapbook? I would tell you, you, you're not allowed to forget anything, but we haven't covered this yet. So, Revelation, 
chapter 2. Yes, that's in the New Testament. In fact, it's the last book in the New Testament. Go ahead. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. I'll read 14. And I'll read 14. The Lord writes this to the church in Pergamum. He says, I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Who is behind chapter 25? Balaam. When he couldn't get in the front door, he went in the back door. Balaam is behind what happened in chapter 25 of Numbers. That's why he's pointed out in the book of the Revelation, because he's a sneak attack guy. He couldn't come at him this way to curse him, so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll come in this way. He was still, this is why the Lord was upset with them when he went, because he knew you're going to go do some things that I don't want you to do, so I'm mad at you, because you're not going to obey me. No, he did not. He did not obey the Lord. He took it upon himself, and he taught the Israelites, taught the Israelites how to sin. So the Israelites become complacent about compromising with the world. The spiritually minded know that God will protect his saint against many things, but he won't protect him from a choice to compromise. Do whatever it takes to put to death the enemy within his camp. That's what the spiritually minded knows. And that's why the picture hanging in the great room of the lion is a a warning picture that we should all reflect on. Not be frightened of, but reflect on. The first generation, though redeemed from Egypt, were characterized by unbelief, faithlessness, and disobedience. They spent most of their lives led by carnal minds doing what was right in their own eyes and wasted their lives in the wilderness never realizing all God had for them and had intended for them. For of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Yet in the midst of this see how God treats his saints with grace, faithfulness, long-suffering, etc., 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 This is how he treated these people for 40 years. And this is how he's treated me and how he's treated you all of your life. It's the spiritually minded, not the carnally minded saint who will enter into God's full inheritance for him and his generation. As we approach Easter this week, let us reflect on our great God, who though we were snake bit by our own stuff, provided the Lord Jesus that for just a look, we could be saved. He made him who knew no sin to be sin 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For next time, remember, no class next week, so the week after that will be the 16th. Read Numbers 26 to 36. That will be the finish of the book of Numbers, and no class next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these snapshots of your people, not for us to wag our fingers or cluck our tongues and say, I can't believe they would do that to you, but to ask you how much of them is in me. And, O oh Lord, have mercy and make horma, make destruction out of those things that make me unlike you. We love you. I pray that this would be the greatest Easter we've had yet. May we see you more clearly, love you more dearly, walk with you more nearly. May we feel your presence, and may we feel your pleasure in us this week because of what Jesus did. We thank you and say we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.